You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jewel Gomez. She's the author of The Gilda Stories. Thank you for joining me, Jewel. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Jewel, uh, where did you decide to write the, the Gilda stories? How did this character come into being? Well, I'd always been wanting to write some speculative fiction. And uh, I'd read Octavia Butler's Kindred. And that started me thinking, hmm, I could do something. And I started writing a, a kind of a meditation on mourning. Uh, I was raised by my great-grandmother. She passed away. And I started thinking about her and what it would have been like if I could have kept her with me of all of her life. And, and of course, the more you think about someone who's not going to die, the more you realize, ah, we're talking vampire. And so I started writing a story, and, and I wanted the main character to be kind of heroic. First, she started out just as almost like a vigilante character in a way. And then the next thing I know, she was a vampire, and then I had to study all the vampire writing ever written and all the research on vampires uh, so that I could do it differently from everyone else and, and not have her be a predator. And that's how Gilda came about. One of the things that interests me about uh, supernatural fiction and vampire fiction are the rules, because everybody has to play with the rules. Tell me about how you played with the rules. I, I love that. I mean, anytime you're writing in any genre, there are, there are rules. So I did a lot of research. I read, uh, you know, Leonard Wolf. I read everybody who had written about vampires and then decided which of the rules I would keep. So first I decided, okay, I'll get rid of the Christian mythology because so much of it is based around Christian mythology. And I decided vampires existed way before Christianity, so why should they be afraid of crosses? And then I thought about other things like being seen in a mirror. The, the genesis of, of vampires not being seen in a mirror is, of course, again, Christian mythology because vampires are thought not to have souls, so if you didn't have a soul, you can be seen in a mirror. So I said, okay, well, that's not really true because I can't really write a black woman who can't see herself in a mirror. <laughs> that would never do. Um, but then you think about things like water, you know, the difficulty vampires having to cross running water. That made sense to me because since our bodies are made up of such a high percentage of water and uh, incorporeal influence of water. So I kept that. So you know, it was fun to think about those things. I mean, I kept the thing about not really being able to see, to be out in the sun, direct sunlight. But I do use something that I learned from Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough about carrying your home soil in your clothes or your shoes can help protect you a little bit. So I love playing with the rules. I love uh, figuring out which ones work, which ones don't. One of the things that's interesting about genre fiction is that writers often use the limitations of the genre mm. as an inspiration. Tell me how you are inspired by the limitations of the vampire legend and genre fiction in general. It, it, with vampire legend, it's first to create a response to living forever. 
I mean, because, of course, you know, that's a, a big fantasy. But then you have to think about, okay, well, what does that mean if you live forever? It means your friends die. It means your family dies. It means people you come to love, you have to leave. So that was one of the limitations I saw in vampire fiction that I, I, I really enjoyed playing with. I have this other novella that I, I wrote that's in my collection of short stories, which is about a woman getting a full-body tattoo. And the tattoo itself has mystical properties. And so when she does the final thing with this tattoo, it changes her forever. So I had to really think about, well what is it going to change her into? <laughs> and I wasn't really sure, but it had to be something spectacular. So the the whole light, so, you know, I started with the idea of a full body tattoo, but then I had to know well, what it was going to be a tattoo of. And I didn't, you know, the tattooed man had already been done. So I didn't want to do that story again. So the more I thought about tattooing as an art form and metamorphosis and the tattooed man, that really gave me the end of my story, which is a total surprise, and I'm not going to give it away. But it all came together because of what it means to have a tattoo, what the mysticism around tattooing is, and what, it, what a story is meant to do. When you say something is supposed to give, create change or a metamorphosis, figuring out what that metamorphosis could be was really fun. <laughs> you know, uh, speculative fiction has a, a long history. And whenever you write to it, you're adding that history and you're part of that history. And I think you're also influenced by that history. Tell me about how the history and the, the literature behind you has influenced what you're doing now. One of my favorite writers is Joanna Russ. And I started reading her in the 80s. And she writes really eloquent, thoughtful, mystical stories but she also writes very funny stories. And that really influenced me. And I couldn't write a funny vampire story when I first got started. But now that the Gilda Stories is published and I'm working on a new collection of Gilda Stories, Gilda has a much better sense of humor. I went back and I reread Joanna Russ, also Angela Carter, who I love. And I thought, these were really funny writers. I need to give my vampire a sense of humor. So that has been, I think, one of the best things that has happened to me, to go back and reread some of, some of Angela Carter and Joanna Russ. If you talk about Octavia Butler, her interest in history and how she creates history. She goes back to slavery, but she also creates history by going into the future and going into space. I really wanted to have my, my stories have a sense of creating history. It's as if you, you, as you were saying earlier, you know, we create this universe and then and people come into it. And so we want to create a universe that, that seems rational and real and people just step into it and then the history is real. You talked about creating a rational and real universe and you have to create characters in this invented universe who have all sorts of imaginary and fantastic powers, yet they have to resonate with people who live in the real world. How do you do that? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> if, you, if you can imagine, you know, everybody goes to the bathroom pretty much. So if you can imagine your character going to the bathroom, <laughs> you can make your character a character that other people can resonate with. It's 
it's just like I was saying, you know, you can't have this woman and not be able to see in a mirror. I mean, maybe that sounds a little bit sexist, but I think all of us have our egos and we want to know what we look like. I mean, Dracula, I don't know who dresses him, but his tie is always straight. So, and he can't see in a mirror. But so if you, if you think about the things that we have in common, you know, the reality of human life is true wherever you are. So that if I create a character that can live on for years and years and years, uh, one of the things that she comes to miss is longevity of other people, people around her, people who know her for years. That's a common reality. Uh, you know, when you move from one side of the country to the other, the f- people always say, don't you miss living in New York? I say, no, I miss my friends. I miss my friends. And that's true, I think, of most of us. So the common humanity is what connects us. When you're sitting down to write, what makes you decide to write a piece of speculative fiction as opposed to, say, a romantic comedy? <laughs> I, I think when I, when I imagine a story that's, that seems terribly huge, it's usually speculative fiction. Uh, not to say that, I mean, I mean, I have a novel that's looking for a publisher now that's about a s- group of black student radicals from the 60s having their 30th anniversary reunion. It's a comedy. I don't know why it's not speculative fiction. It just, it, it just is. And I suppose I could rewrite it as, as speculative fiction if something amazing was going to happen in it. But there's something about thinking about the universe, thinking about how one can shift a very solid reality that I find speculative fiction just just works for me, just works for me. In this novella that I, I did about the tattoo, it, it takes place in the future in which our lives are all very codified. So artists are all expected to live in one neighborhood and, and uh, construction workers are all expected to live in another neighborhood. And, and, and creativity has really become stifled. And I wanted to write about complacency and the simple thing of complacency, but how it could ruin the world. It's not that people go and, and do something horrible, it's that they do nothing. And that felt to me like a speculative fiction story. I've been speaking with Jewel Gomez. She's the author of The Gilda Stories. Thank you for joining me, Gilda. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Jewel. <laughs> Lots of people call me Gilda. That's what my license plate says. So if you see a Gilda driving down the street, it's me. <laughs> Thank you for speaking with me. Thanks. I'll see ya. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.